so much for having me. Um, so, as Nigel said, I've come down from Loughborough and I lead a church there. And um, the, the kind of the story, really, of Open Heaven, which is the name of the church, is I turned up at the university um, at 18 and I just put a very short prayer going up to university, uh, which was, oh, oh God, use me. That was it, I just prayed that prayer over and over again. And when I turned up at the university, um, I was put in a hall of residence, discovered that all these second and third year Christians have been praying specifically for 10 fired up freshers. That was their prayer. Anyway, 10 of us turned up and we'd all done mission stuff in the summer. And in that first term, there was a move of God. And the number of Christians trebled in 10 weeks. And week five, a friend came into my room, went from Germany, said, Yes, what was I do to become a Christian? So I got them out, and sort of fumbled my way through a sort of salvation prayer. And then week 10, two other friends also came into my room, said, How do I become a Christian? So there was this move of God, and there was supernatural things that were happening. We prayed for the guy who was the sports sec, and he. Uh, was a big rugby player, had a huge black eye with you know padding all over it, and we prayed for him, and instantaneously all of the swelling and the discoloration went, and that kind of news went round the hall, and in the in the there was like a really dodgy hall magazine that was produced um, every week, and uh, we started to see a God slot in that magazine of the things that God was doing, and then at the end of that first term. We went on a Christian in weekends away, and a speaker was there, and he had just been given a prophetic word, uh, a conference giving that, and uh, the prophetic word was, you're about to meet a group of young people, which we were then, who are going to set up a church for young people in the Midlands. And so those of us that were caught up in this move of God in our hall of residence just kind of like, I think our hearts began to be really, really fast, and we basically decided to take ourselves as seriously as God was taking us. And so then we planted a church called Open Heaven. Um, and that's really what I've been doing ever since. I'm married um, to a really good man called Rich Wilson. He heads up something called Fusion. So if you are aware of kind of students um, who are uh, connecting into churches through Fusion, that's what my husband does. We've got two daughters, Emily who is 16 and Lauren who is 11. And then, uh, more recently, I've taken on the leadership of Pioneer. So Pioneer is this network of churches, um, and it's just it's just a huge privilege um, to be able to see what God's doing in kind of a, a bigger scale across the country. So that's a bit about me. I told you that kind of in, in my 20s, that church planting, supernatural, we saw incredible stories of provision, I could, I could fill up half an hour with that. But I also want to be real and say, Whilst the decade of my 20s was um, really full of extraordinary answers to prayer, and then the decade of my 30s was tough. So right at the start of my 30s, my mum died of cancer, we prayed our best prayers and we did everything we had to. Um, and then a couple of years after that, we had a little boy who was born with a heart condition and he also died. So going through the pain of that was tough. And then a couple of years after that, our youngest um, was diagnosed with cancer. She went through the cancer journey, and she is alive and well and full of beans. Um, but I just want to say to you that I've known what it is to see the grace of God through miracles, and I've known what it is to see 
grace of God through suffering. And I think that's reality. And I think I think in terms of us being kings and people, there is that sense, isn't there, where we kind of we see the kingdom break into the here and the now. And we see miracles and we see answers to prayer and we see incredible provision. And actually there is also that sense of we are looking forward to the day that is coming when Jesus Christ will return and all will be made well. And there are times when God gives us grace that is just sufficient enough to walk through the hard times, walk through maybe the unanswered prayers, knowing that the kingdom is yet to fully come in all fullness. And all will be made well, no more tears, no more sickness, no more dying, no more pain. And that day will come. But we're these kinds of kingdom people, aren't we? We're living in the now, but not yet. And 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 I think it takes it takes a mature community that are able to be rejoicing with those who rejoice and still be full of faith for the times when the kingdom breaks in and it's like wow. And yet a mature community that can stand shoulder to shoulder with those who maybe are not seeing the kingdom come in the immediacy as to what they perhaps are hoping for. And that's the kind of, certainly pioneer, leading pioneer, that's the kind of churches I want us to be. I want us to be, really, it's like the early church. You know, I'm fascinated. Acts 12, you see, um, you know the closest friends of Jesus, James, Peter, and James. We see that incredible moment in the life of the early church when Peter is miraculously freed from prison. Do you remember that? The early church kept praying, and Peter's miraculously freed from prison. And then goes and knocks on doors. So all the friends and family of Peter have been rejoicing. And in that same passage, John is killed. And so all the friends and family. And so you, I just think there's a there's a there's a tension being kings and kingdoms that can hold that tension. So that's not really in my instruction there, but I just felt like I wanted to say it, that um, there's something <coughs> about being people who know the grace in the miraculous and the grace in the suffering. So as I've travelled a bit more recently, I think I've picked up um, two, two interesting kind of Things that are going on in our nation. One, we've already sung about it actually. There was that song that was essentially about um, what we're doing to the environment. And there is there is a sense of uncertainty and anxiety as to the future. Particularly amongst the younger generation. And yet what I'm also picking up, perhaps connected to that, is a desire and a determination and a desperation to see God move again in our lives. But we have a history of this that when the darkness gets dark, the light gets lighter. We have, a, we have a history, we have a legacy in our land when Christians begin to contend for another great awakening. And I'm caught up with a, a group of people at something called Wildfires, which is a festival which is drawing together right across the streams and denominations, people are saying, you know what, enough is enough. 
that there's something that's rising up inside of us. Uh, we need a move of God in a way that, that we've not seen actually for decades. So I've been drawn to um, this passage in Luke 5 actually for quite a while and been kind of mulling it over. Because as I'm hearing more leaders and more churches begin to talk about the need for another move of God, the need for a great awakening, I'm, I'm hearing more people talk about um, praying and pushing in and interceding in a way that I've not heard for a long time. And I think there's two responses when you hear words like revival or, or an awakening. One is cynicism. Oh yeah, you know, I've heard that before. But one is faith. And I know I've kind of looked, I've looked at this, almost like looked at it face on and gone, I have two responses to this. When I'm hearing other people talk about pushing in and contending for revival. And I just think, you know what? Even if I don't get to see it, I want my response to my faith. I don't want to get to the end of my life to look into the eyes of Jesus and think, since it's one, I leant back, I folded my arms. And I didn't even know I wanted to be there, I wanted to push in because we've only got one life, one short life. And I, and I think, well, if I push in, if I pray in such a way that I am sowing into something, that even if I don't need to see it, then it's for the next generation. It's a harvest for the next generation will get to see. And either way, it's better than setting up the conservatory. <laughs> it's like there's different ways to live life, isn't there? You can kind of like, you know, you can give yourself for the greatest cause on earth, or you can just think small, dream small, and live small. And I just think, like, you know, like this, like, you know, I'm past the kind of halfway mark now, and I think you start to think a bit differently and just like, I want to keep on thinking bigger, living bigger, praying bigger, and dreaming bigger. That's how I want to live my life. Whether or not I live to see it, it's like, you know, the, 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 that great chapter in Hebrews of people of faith, and they're like, right at the very, very end. They are praying and living for what is to come, because they know others will live in the good of life. And so I kind of, personally, I felt the, the challenge, do I have the faith response or the cynical response? And for me, no, I have to be accountable to King Jesus one day, I'm going to choose the faith response. Amen. And so, as I've been thinking then, so what does it mean if I'm beginning to join with others and daring to believe there might be another great awakening? My responsibility then now, not just as a, as a local church leader, but leading a network. And I felt the Holy Spirit give me this phrase, clean the nets and strengthen the nets. And that's what he says. Holy Spirit's whispered it again and again. Clean the nets and strengthen the nets. And so the small part that I get to play, because Pioneer is a small cog in a much bigger wheel, of the incredible breadth and beauty of the body of Christ. But the part that, that I'm responsible for makes sure those things are clean and make sure those things are strong. So that as what we're daring to believe, the spirit of God begins to breathe again across our land, that as people begin to find Jesus in the midst of all of this uncertainty, 
across our land to all of the anxiety, the unpredictability. I think people are looking for an anchor. They're looking for a hope. They're looking for something that's solid and something that is secure. They're looking for the fact that there is somebody bigger than ourselves, bigger than all the, the, the answers that are sometimes espoused by different people. Somebody bigger, happy people looking for Jesus. And so if we're going to start to see an influx of people who are coming into our communities, we need to be clean and we need to be strong. But we can really carry them, hold them, and do them good. So this passage in Luke 5, where Jesus calls his first disciples, and they were doing a series of encounters with Jesus. And this is an extraordinary encounter with Jesus. So let's read it once more. It's Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen, who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. <coughs> Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be from now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. So Jesus is standing by the lake, and it says in verse 1 the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And I do believe that spiritual hunger is increasing in our nation. And notice that, that Jesus is using words. When people are spiritually hungry, that they want to understand more of the kingdom of God. That we are demonstrating the gospel. I'm thinking all kinds of extraordinary. Just listening, is it Gary in the food bank? Wow, this is an amazing, amazing story. I think generally the church in the UK has got better and better and better at demonstrating the gospel through kindness, through acts of service. But we can't invent words. You know? But there is no kingdom without a king. And as we are demonstrating the kingdom, we need to be pointing people towards the king of that kingdom. 
as then this that you're experiencing is the physical. And so a connection between our words and our words, the reason behind it all. So we're talking about Jesus as well as showing people about Jesus. I know you guys want Alpha. You've got more plans for later on this year. I just want to encourage you to be brave. Because the wonderful thing about Alpha is it gives some words, it gives some explanation as to what people might have been experiencing. You know, they might have been really blessed, really deeply touched by the way that these Christians, these really kind people, have been meeting for needs. But that was a brilliant way to show people the Jesus behind the kindness, the Jesus behind the goodness, the Jesus behind the practical care. We've got we've got an Alpha course actually that's starting tomorrow, and um, I'm fascinated by the fact that someone that my husband has invited um, actually came to do some work of course under our sink in our kitchen six years ago. <laughs> And, you know, really friendly guy, salt of the earth guy, and so my husband just got chatting to him, and they actually struck up enough of a friendship while the guy was fixing something under the sink, that it then continued to every so often, not those, but just every so often, like, meet up for a drink. And then, and then, it was before Christmas, and my husband just said to me, I just got a sort of a strange feeling that I should um, connect up with Andy again, just see how he's doing. So, so my husband went onto Facebook just to see kind of how Andy's doing. There was a strange post in there about the fact that he'd been to the other side. So anyway, so my husband contacted him, and they met up for a drink. And this guy um, had, had had an experience where he died, and um, he. Well, in this experience, he was on the operating table, and it was they had. I think he'd had two shots of adrenaline, and so it was almost kind of time up. And then the third shot, he came back. But in that time, he felt as though he saw an angel. Anyway, he had this near-death experience, and he was saying to my husband, "Everyone thinks I'm bonkers." And my husband said, I don't think you're bonkers, but I do think you need to read the Bible. And I think you get to know Jesus because that's going to really help you make sense of what you encountered. Anyway, so Andy is coming tomorrow to Alpha. And he's also asking me to bring him home. It seems like a course. My 16 year old, who's now at Sixth Form College, um, we had a really interesting conversation, I think it was a week ago. And she said to me, how many of her friends, just it's stand, panic attacks are just standard. It's the few that don't have panic attacks. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, back in the day, <coughs> I remember probably the other way around, the anxiety levels are so high, and we just were talking about it. And I was saying to her, what, what do you think that is? Like, where is that coming from? And we know, don't we, kind of lots of the stats, social media and different things. Uh, but she was saying she wonders if there's something about her generation have almost grown up with um, almost, she said, it feels like they are hopeless in terms of thinking about the future. 
there's no hope. Whereas in previous generations, there was always some kind of a sense of things are getting better. You know? But she said, you know, they've grown up with 9-11, the war on terror. They've grown up with the climate crisis. And they've grown up with almost a sense of, I guess, futility. But hope feels like it's being drained in terms of future. You know, the fact that they, they feel the resources have, have all gone or been taken. Jobs, you know, might not be there. It might be really difficult to ever be able to, to get a house, just because there's, there's a hopelessness. And, um, and I was saying, so, so, so what is it? But she was saying, I, I don't feel that in the same way. I said, so why is it that you don't feel that in the same way? So I think it's because I've, I've just always known that God is in control. And I, I talk quite a bit about heaven. Partly, I think, the experience of touching heaven as our son died, or had an extraordinary experience of touching heaven. So I feel there's a revelation of heaven. And as I, just the children have grown up, um, and we've talked about the reality of heaven. And also the reality of Jesus coming again. And so I think, knowing that, that Jesus is on the throne, that ultimately God is in charge and in control, and that heaven is real, and that Jesus is coming back, means even though there's all this anxiety, I feel like there's, there's, a, there's a soul's anchor that means I'm, I'm not coming under the same sense of fear and futility. And so I, I so she's advised to come and in her sixth form. And so it's, I'm just praying that there's something where people are getting drawn, people are saying yes to Alpha more than most of those people. And so let me encourage you, when it is that you're running after again, know that there is a spiritual hunger that is increasing, and people are longing for security and hope in a way that perhaps is becoming more conscious, is coming to the surface more, and so make the most of that opportunity. And then verse 2, the disciples were scrubbing and cleaning their nets. Why? Because you don't want anything in fishing nets that would make it a toxic or diseased environment for freshly caught fish. You want freshly caught fish to come into really clean nets. And I think there's something here for us as we think about bringing spiritual seekers and searchers into our communities. We want these environments, and I know it's always a bit to pick it up, to be so full of love and grace and kindness. The relational health to be so strong in our church communities that as soon as people come in, they just know this is a good place. People are going to be for me. People, people, they, there's no gossip. You know that we're church communities where we actually follow the Matthew 18 thing. Which is if you get hurt or offended by someone, which let me tell you, if you're in church for more than five years, you're going to be hurt by somebody. But what do we do with that? The Matthew 18 thing is we're brave enough to go and have a conversation with that person face to face. And I found a really, really good way to start a conversation like that is this. Help me to understand 
one explains it. That's a great opener, just those first few words. You're not going in with accusation, you're just going in with helping to understand because the goal of those kinds of mathematical conversations, ultimately the goal is not necessarily that you end up agreeing, but ultimately the goal is that you end up understanding each other more. Because when you understand somebody more, you can have grace for them. <coughs> and so, so new Christians we come into our church communities and there's no gossip. There's no backbiting. It's like we are healthy in how we honor each other, we respect each other, we're brave enough to have some more difficult conversations. It means things aren't swept under the bed. That's kingdom. That's a kingdom culture. That's different to perhaps our workplace cultures. That's a kingdom culture, and we can do it because we have supernatural grace in Jesus to be able to love each other enough at times we have the difficult questions. When our churches are full of relational health, it's easier for people to be fully and effectively discipled by each other. A real kingdom culture is that there's attitudes of openness, honesty, and accountability. Some of the things we try to cultivate back in open heaven. You can ask Emma Natalie about their experience of what, what does it mean that a culture where people genuinely disciple each other? When you genuinely say, like, You've got permission to speak into my life. So people will often meet up one-to-one and and actually disciple each other. We find that works really well for the younger ones who come in, 18-year-olds. Most of our students are are, are in discipling friendships one-to-one. For those of us that get a bit older, it can always be a bit harder. Um, You know, you have a season of one-to-one discipleship, but then... Certainly if you get older and you get any kind of positions of leadership, sometimes people don't quite feel as though uh, they can speak into your life as much. And so you have to be more intentional. So my husband, when he turned 40, wrote 40 discipleship questions and gave them out a few trusted friends. I've written 10. I couldn't quite get to 40, but I wrote 10. And I've given them out to a couple of friends and asked them these questions. Because the whole thing of the kingdom culture is we keep on growing we don't get stuck. We, we, we allow people we trust to be able to live as a lives of us, to encourage us, to push us on. Because a church, a church community says we accept you fully as you are, but, but there's more that we need to be done as sons and daughters of the King of Kings. So that's a culture, isn't it, of relational health. So we work hard at that. We don't hide our stuff, we own our stuff. And then verse 3, Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put it from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. I'm struck by this. Jesus is as comfortable in a fisherman's boat as he is in the synagogue. You know, religion compartmentalizes life. You do religious things on a Sunday. Relationship invades every sphere. I love that about our relationship with Jesus. That the whole of our lives matter to God. And Jesus demonstrates that by getting in a fisherman's boat. There's no sacred, secular divide for Jesus. And it's the same for us. The whole of life is spiritual. So do we submit our everyday work, our boats, our offices, our meetings to the Lordship of Jesus for him to use? What would happen if we all saw ourselves as being on God's assignment every single day? 
as we left our front door, we walked out and we knew that we were a sent one on a God assignment. I think that might change things, that we are called to not just have inner transformation, but to be transforming the people and places that we are touching. I'm struck by just a, a, you know, a couple of questions in terms of our workplaces. What do we need to celebrate? So what's going on in our workplaces that is like, wow, that's kingdom culture. So we shine a light on it and celebrate it. And is there anything that clashes with the kingdom that we have had the Holy Spirit in this shift? We've had just a great story. Ordinary stories, small stories of people who've shifted culture in their workplaces. Somebody called Kate, and uh, there wasn't a lot of community in her office, and so she instigated something called Fun Fridays. So every Friday lunchtime, everyone has to stop work, and then they just do something fun. You know, they, they go to an art gallery, or they have a picnic in the park, or something like that. Anyway, it so changed the atmosphere in her office that she's ended up getting an award like from her company because she's been a community builder. And in reality, they want to be neutral. Don't ever think that your presence on your front line, whether it's whether it's in a, a paid workplace, whether it's at home, you are never neutral. Your presence is never neutral. And I think as Christ followers, we, we are always about building community. And we can either build community or we can detract from community. So just think that in your workplace, in your place of study, at home, are you a community builder? Because that's what we're called to be. So, this in the next verse, in verse 4, Jesus essentially tells Peter how to do his job. Which is interesting, and I think it means that Jesus has got something to say about our work. Maybe even divine insights and strategies. So verse 4, when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let the nets down for a catch. And verse 5, Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night. Haven't caught anything. You can imagine his tone of voice and the expression on his face. I've been left in some level of frustration. It's like, Jesus, you know, you're a fine speaker. Perhaps you could make a great table. Being common to some. But really? You're telling us? Fisherman, expert fisherman, how to fish. You see, back in that day, maybe for me the case today shows that I know nothing about fishing, but apparently fishermen only fished at night and they fished in the shallow waters because that's where the fish were. And so Jesus is actually telling us something that humanly makes no sense whatsoever. So Jesus is telling the experts to do something that normally speaking would never work to fish in the daytime and to fish in the deep waters. So perhaps Simon Peter is exasperated, but interestingly, his next response is, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And I know for me, even when it doesn't make sense, obedience brings fruitfulness. It's true. Obedience brings fruitfulness, even when it doesn't make sense. When we do what Jesus says, it always works out well. Even if it's crazy stuff, if it doesn't make any sense, I'm you know, planting open heaven. It's like, 
I was the first person in my family to go to university. They were high hopes of me getting a, a graduate career job, proper job. But I felt I had to stay in Edinburgh. Everyone else was going off to the big cities to, you know, pursue their career. I felt like I needed to stay in. Worked part-time in a flower shop. And my parents would send me job efforts that were tied to my degree. <laughs> so please. But I knew I had to be obedient. And obedience brings brightness. I'm struck. The wedding that came in Galilee, I was running out of wine. Mary, Jesus' mum, says in John 2, verse 5, to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And I just, I just want to say that. Repeat that here. Do whatever he tells you. Whatever he tells you, even if it doesn't make sense. Do whatever he tells you. Conventional wisdom is not always wise. And the majority are not always right. Do whatever he tells you. And then verse 6. When they had done so, because it does always work, and they do what he says, they caught such a large number of fish, their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. You know, if there is another great awakening, none of us can cope with it by ourselves. One of the wonderful things, and I think it's Holy Spirit orchestrated, is over the last 10 years, there has been more unity, connection, partnership, honouring of each other across the body of Christ than I have seen in my lifetime. Up in Loughborough, in the Midlands, we've got a mission statement that is made up of the 22 churches in our town. And it's this, there is one church in Loughborough with multiple expressions centred on Christ to transform our community. That's our mission statement. That's what all the leaders will say in all the various expressions of church. Once a year, everybody cancels their Sunday morning services and we meet in the park. Brilliant. All backgrounds, ages. It's just fantastic. But I think God is up to something. Because when the body of Christ begins to work together as one, we have to strengthen it. We're easily able to say to each other, come help. You know, we need to be we need to be holding on to each other for strong necks. And verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. It's interesting, isn't it? Peter's reaction. I wonder if it's about the fact that he recognises he had been obedient, but they hadn't been much faith. Because he had no extra nets. There were no backup boats. Peter's reaction, go away from the Lord's own simple man, is because, well, first he sees the power of Jesus. This is no mere mortal. This is someone who can control the fish of the sea. So there's the power of Jesus. So whenever I think we truly encounter the power of Jesus, we, we become aware, don't we? Of like, I'm pretty small in compared to how big you are. But also, was there something of him recognizing? Yes, he had obeyed. 
but they haven't been much fun. And that's a challenge for us, isn't it? We want to be obedient. We want to be obedient with faith. And I do think, again, I just pick up what, what, what God is doing. I think there's, there's, um, there's something about cleaning the nets. You know, Peter says, depart from your sinful man. I just wonder whether there's things almost that we were able to get away with before, but or because the spiritual temperature is turning up, we're actually going to find ourselves with a sense of, you know what, that attitude, or just that pattern of thinking or behaving, that doesn't fit with who I truly am. As a thinking, if I'm going to be a carrier of an awakening, a carrier of the Holy Spirit, a carrier of revival, there's another level that I think cleaning that needs to go on on the inside. There's going to be, it's almost we're going to feel uncomfortable feeling like that's a bit ugly. And I've kind of accommodated it, but I can't keep on accommodating it. I think that's going to be, it's almost, you know, holiness kind of has gone out of who talks about holiness anymore? But I think there's always something where God is saying, I want you to be spiritually hot, and there's a, there's, a, there's a holiness that we're going to begin to be struck by. The things that we used to accommodate before, we're just going to feel it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit with who we are. And Jesus, being Jesus. You know when Peter's like, depart from a sinful man, it's almost like Jesus didn't give that much air time. Instead, he says, don't be afraid. From now on, your fish get control. It's like, I give you reassurance and I give you commission. That's what Jesus always does. He gives us reassurance. You are a son or a daughter of the King of Kings. And he gives us commission. Go now and be a bishop of men. And that's, I guess, where I just want to come into land is if you've not felt for quite a long time a desire to be a fisher of men, a desire to be caught up in something that actually ushering people into the kingdom, then I, I think that God's wanting to challenge us and say, it's time. It's time to begin to have a desperation and a desire to give people the single greatest gift we can ever give them, which is a relationship with King Jesus. That's the greatest thing we can give them. And to be people who live lives where we've got you know, the eternal perspective. Because at the end of the day, whatever we accumulate in life, at the end of the day, it all goes back in the box. Money, possessions, cars, homes, all goes back in the box. Can't take it with us. The only thing we can take with us are people. And so to have that fresh desire again, Lord, you know, I I want to live my life in such a way that there's it's building. It's building for eternity. And so Jesus says, Don't be afraid. From now on be a fish of people. So verse 11, they pulled the boat up on the shore, left everything and followed him. So what do we need to leave on the shore in order to follow him and step into this commission of being a fisher of people? I believe there's something we're going to say, come on church, 
which is for God to give us a desire to begin to pray and begin to long for people to come to know And then after that, we're going to do a response to you know, just to give your heads up and ask people to put their hands in their hearts if you know there's something that um, you, you've been accommodating for too long and you have a description to say it's time to go through. So first of all, let's do the desire to see Jesus become friends with those who Lord, you, you're here. We love your presence. We've really enjoyed your presence during our time of worship. And Jesus, what you said to those Christians back then is what you want to say to us right now, to, to give us a fresh commission, Lord, for the lost, a fresh commission, a fresh desire to become fishers of people. And so, Lord Jesus, as we hold out our hands, God, if we've just kind of got a bit complacent, we've kind of just, our world has got too small, we're just a bit curved in on ourselves. God, would you again open up our hearts? Again, God, would you let us see what you see and feel what you feel? And, and God, the passion that you have to see people back in relationship with you, God, let us begin to align ourselves with that passion. That let us hear again the words of Jesus. You will be fishers of people. That God, right now, would you plant into our minds uh, the faces and the names of people that we need to get a little bit bolder with. That maybe we just need to drop into conversation that we love you. 
uh, that we are following you, people that maybe we need to invite to Alpha, people we need to offer to pray for, that God, would you right now stir our hearts again, God, for what breaks yours. God, give us that fresh desire again, and then turn that into determination. Lord God, turn that into a, a passion to begin to pray again for this nation, to see a move of God, another great awakening. God, that where we just maybe, it's a, it's a small ember, Holy Spirit, blow on a small ember, that it might become a fiery furnace, a passion and a prayer. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. And then for those of you that just feel like, ah, oh, apart cleaning the nest, there's something that I know I just need to get rid of, then nobody's looking. I can just ask everyone to keep their eyes closed. Stretch your hand over your heart as a sign to the Lord. Holy Spirit. Part of your job is to make us more like Jesus. This word sanctification making us more and more holy, which actually is to make us more and more human. Because to be truly holy is to be truly human. To be a human being fully alive with the power and presence of Jesus. And so, Lord, right now, people are giving you permission to come and to clean. To clean us up deep on the inside. Holy Spirit, this permission has been given to you to come. And so I pray for streams of pure, life-giving water to begin to flow from heaven and just wash out. Lord, the ugly stuff that doesn't fit with who we are. Holy Spirit, come wash it out. Wash it out in the name of Jesus. I pray in faith that where there are hidden things that uh, don't that don't glorify you. Right now, I pray the power of them will be broken in the name of Jesus. Broken once and for all in the name of Jesus. And God, that they would leave our minds and our bodies. Holy Spirit, come and do what you are so good at doing. Make us more like Jesus. Make us cleaner. Make us more ready to bring people in.